This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hi, this is Mitchell from Cut Copy, and you're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio. Subscribe now. to all the bicycle riders seen Bicycle rider, bicycle rider Bike rider, my other bike rider Bike rider, my other bike rider Good morning and welcome to this edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio Show for, I believe it's uh, the 17th of August. And thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of Current Affairs. And my name's Chris and we're Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. We're a show about bicycles and sustainable transport broadcasting from Melbourne, Australia. And in the studio today we'll have Simon talking about uh, bicycle workshops and a considerable amount of research and work he's done into them from uh, an overseas perspective. Hello, Simon. Morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, how was your ride in this morning? Um, it was very wet, actually. Yep. And I ride a folder, so um, no mud guards. Oh, yeah, because you get those clearance problems with a folder, wouldn't you? With yeah. The, yeah. So um, what sort of folder have you got? I've got the top of the range, Birdie. Oh, very yeah. nice. You've, you've, we've got a very big Brompton scene here in Melbourne too. Yes, I, I'm, despite being a Brit, I'm never very keen on them. Too oh. tall. I'm too tall. Okay, so like you just find them a little bit kind of outer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we were having a discussion earlier in the in the um, kitchen here about uh, the lead article on today's age. What you, what you make about that? About the parking thing to bite the bullet on cycling safety? Um, well, dooring is a big issue, and that's what um, seems to come up in Melbourne. Personally, um, I've lived in some much more chaotic cities, and it's uh, for me a lot of it is about um, sort of uh, mutual looking out for each other and where people are a little bit more aware and they do that special thing where you use your left hand to open a car door and that sort of thing that uh, really helps um, rules and regulations can assist i think but um, i think we have a culture where there's always going to be a lot of parking on main roads i'm not quite sure what the reports are proposing but um, uh, it probably needs a bit more uh, action um, Given, you know, the accident record and so forth, I, 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 I would support some sort of um, more legal approach. But planning-wise, it's a very tricky issue. Yeah. Copenhagen has um, a different set of cycle lanes that tend to avoid the opening door of the driver. That's one possibility. Yeah, because the actual um, article itself, it didn't really go into... I think we have to look up the Bicycle Network website for probably uh, get into the on the PDF of the report. But uh, basically starts off, Melbourne's roads are fundamentally unsafe for bicycle riders and we need to take big decisions on the value of on-street parking if we want to save lives, according to new research from a traffic engineer. Uh, traffic engineers. Um they, uh, they're good if they actually talk to bike riders. They do, but I don't find a lot of them do. Yeah, uh, I think there's a bit of an expert culture. Sorry, engineers. But um, uh, I think if you actually travel the wear lines, as we say, on a road every day, you soon work out how you might be able to reform the road network. Um, some of the, uh, you know, meeting the regulations is a second best, I think. 
Yeah, because I remember reading, uh, was it uh, Elliot Fishman from the Institute for Sensible Transport did a fair bit of research and I think talks on the economy of um, car parking and it's a little bit of a false economy of how much you know parking is put around shopping to get people there. Mm. And I also remember going back quite considerable time ago, probably just under the last 10 years, you know, previous life where, you know, you know, who I was working for put together information about how, you know, bicycles are good for business and, you know, in terms of how much per person someone will do on a spend. Um, we have a phenomenal kind of car culture plus shopping culture here. You know, you look at our major shopping um, centres and they just surrounded by, yeah, and also our strip shopping, which yeah. I actually think kills it a bit. Uh, I think it probably does. Um I live in a strip where people need to stop off for a short time to pick up heavy boxes and things, but um, the street itself is chocker the whole time. Um, there's, um yeah, because uh, you, you're talking about like the down down uh, Westgarth area where they've mm. just put. What do you what do you make of the new super stops there? Does that kind of like desist and getting more cars through there, or do you think it's created a problem? Um, they've actually the ones in the middle of the roads have worked quite well. Mm. There's still a little bit of hesitation with the ones off to the side. Yeah. Because bikes sometimes hit pedestrians and <laughs> you're forced up onto a platform. And it's an unusual solution. Mm. Uh, I couldn't find many other places in the world where they do that. But it's sort of working now, I think. Mm. Um, the cars have stopped hip- hitting the tram stops with quite such frequency, which happened for a while. They did, actually. I remember going back to 18 months ago because we live just off there. And my partner and a whole bunch of people just walking past actually helped physically lift a small four-cylinder model car off mm. one of the platforms. We're talking about High Street and Northcote. With, um, and uh, a very bemused and befuddled uh, driver who just, you know, I, I've known this road for 30 years and I will drive this way and didn't realise there'd been a very large platform put in the middle of it or to the side. So, mm. yes, it's a kind of that interesting interplay when, you know, new infrastructure goes in. Uh, yeah. Like we know down here in Wellington Street, you know, you're still getting deliveries and stuff, people using it. But, uh, yeah, it's um, interesting because this this whole thing like to do with... Um, getting the on-street parking kind of rearranged is because of the phenomenal amount of dooring or, and I think, say, under-reporting too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's all about the streetscape, so it's a useful term to use. If you, if you, if you, Yeah, you've got to think about changing the streetscape to make it amenable to more people, um, you know, with less accidents. And um, as long as people are actually involved in that process, it can go well. The tram thing had a lot of consultations. I went to a few. And eventually people sort of stopped throwing up their hands with a few months to go. And it was uh, still controversial, but in the end, actually, um, it's probably slowed things down car-wise. Um, hasn't made things terribly fantastic for cyclists. But it's pinch points, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I found, um, I, you know, when I'm coming through Westgarth, I kind of like I'm, I'm a reasonably um, confident rider. You know, it's like, um, nah. I'm staying here, um, but yeah, you do you do get the occasional little shadow or the the swerve or the you know you can feel the impatience. Mm. Well, I'm a I'm a lecturer, and my students from overseas often not too used to tram tracks either, oh, uh, and you you they're right in your face when you've got a pinch point. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with the interview. We'll be talking about bicycle workshops. It's time once again for you to test your brain capacity at the Lost in Science Trivia Night. 
We don't expect you to perform complex calculus, but maybe brush up on your periodic table. Yeah, and support us. Uh, entry is $15 for 3CR subscribers or concession, $20 for everybody else. It's happening at the Birmingham Hotel, corner of Johnson Street and Smith Street. In Fitzroy, Tuesday the 18th of August. Doors will be open at 6.30pm. Check the 3CR website for details or book your tickets beforehand on Eventbrite by searching for Lost in Science Trivia 2015. Lost in Science is a 3CR production. You're listening to Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio on Community Radio, 3CR 855 AM and digital. In today's interview, we're talking to Associate Professor Simon Batterbury about uh, bicycle workshops and probably something a bit different to what you may expect to, like going to your local bike shop. This is a more a community-based um sort of I'm pacing around here you know your subject (laughs) go for it (laughs) Uh, well I suppose the big difference is in a community bike workshop or what they call in America a bike kitchen or in Europe the francophone parts it's atelier vélo um, the person that walks in um, does their own work on their bicycle and that's the basic criteria so you might have a volunteer to help you or a paid person to help you and you can build up a bike from scratch from a pile of parts and donated machines or you can um, simply repair what you've got and the term in French for that which doesn't translate very well into English is becoming is, is to become velo uh, velonom which means bicycle autonomous or something roughly in those sorts of lines where you can basically ride your machine repair it yourself, keep it going, gives you virtually zero transport costs for years and years and years. And um, I think that's a, it's a good addition. It doesn't compete necessarily with bike uh, shops because um, you need money to go to a bike shop. You don't need very much money to go to a community workshop and do the work yourself. Mm. So how did you kind of come to this? Yeah, you have a very long and varied career. But, you know, with sustainable transport and cycling, how did you, you know, come to these community workshops? Uh, well, I, I was born and grew up in south-east London where um, there's pretty much a war on the streets, cars, motorists, other things going on. It's a pretty intense place to uh, cycle, but I always did. And then when I moved back from a long period overseas, I got involved with the local cycle action group, the Ealing Cycling Campaign in Ealing in West London. And we did a lot of work with councils and on streetscape issues like dropping ramps for disabled access and cycling access, things like that. And um, that group has subsequently set up a bicycle workshop, which I heard about on a return visit to, to the UK. And I've also lived uh, a long time in uh, Tucson, Arizona, where I was a prof at the university. And uh, there they have BICAS, which is one of the longest existing community cycle workshops founded in 1989 as a part of an anti-nuclear protest group that also sent bicycles across the border to Mexico to youth. And um, uh, we actually built some bikes up there and I got to understand that whole sort of idea of um, becoming uh, autonomous in your cycling behaviour and doing the work yourself rather than relying on others. Yeah, because it's something like, I think from an Australian perspective, um, going back 25 years or even longer, we've gone to that user-pays model, the eco or the neurocon stuff. I can think back to just over 20 years ago when we had the um, 
council amalgamations here, things went to compulsory tendering. How does this fit with that model, unfortunately, we do have now that um, we, you know, you have to pay, you don't, no, no longer this cooperative way of thinking has seemed to have been pushed out. Hmm. What, how, how would you kind of approach it from um, to get people kind of thinking along these lines about what input do I need to do to get access to this? Right. Well, uh, as a person who wants to ride a bike, all you have to do is show up at a workshop, which means you have to a bit of effort to find where they are. And we only have four or five in Melbourne at this point. Um, to set one up depends on your national um, uh, rules and regulations about setting up associations or non-profits. So in the US and in most European countries, there's a specific um, association criteria and people basically have to have somebody who's a chairperson and they have to do annual accounts. But you can set yourself up as a non-profit that gives you basic access to services, insurance and what have you. Um, and um, really off you go. And the people that do this, I've discovered because I've interviewed people in 26 workshops now, me and a small team at um, Monash and uh, Melbourne, uh, is there's always somebody who might be what you might call a cycling entrepreneur, somebody who's passionate and interested, has a bit of a mission. This can vary between somebody that really wants to make a statement and have a, a large sort of cycling facility that they can work in. Others have a very come more from the social care professions and they, they see a workshop as an addition to existing uh, community activities. And um, the, those two end up, you, you end up with a small workshop in some sort of premises, but there's slightly different origins of those two things. And there's also some workshops like in Germany, the ADFC Werkstatt in Berlin is um, a subsidiary of the um, German cycling organisation. Okay. So, um, so here in Melbourne, if people want to think of an example, you could say things like uh, the Series Bike Shed, mm -hmm. um, Wrenchworthy Bike Shed. We, we've um, spoken to Kat and Sid on the show recently. Uh, Second Chance Cycles here in um, Collingwood. Bikes for Life are a bit similar. They kind of do mm -hmm. up bikes to send overseas. And quite a few of those sort of things have happened in Melbourne. Like I was involved going back in the late 90s with Timor sending bikes to Timor, similar sort of thing. You didn't get a bike out of it, but it was a similar sort of cooperative sort of thing. But it's not really quite the social enterprise model, is it? Um, this, what, the, the community workshops mm. tend to, they don't regard themselves in the initial stages as, as social enterprises. Yeah. There's no real um, need for a great deal of money. For example, the um, uh, 123 Velo one in Brussels that I've spent some time in is basically in a squat a legalised squat. Um, they have a need for people come in and they give donations when they come in and fix their bike. People come in and donate um, parts and old frames and what have you. But um, it's not really a social enterprise. That tends to come mm. later. So following, I, I had a fellowship to study these things in Brussels and at the Brussels Centre for Urban Studies at the Free University. And um, what I noticed there was that people trans transitioned over time to um, a social enterprise, but it, you needed to establish yourself to have security in terms of volunteer support and premises, otherwise the workshop is basically on the pavement or it's constantly being packed up and moved um, yeah. because of a lack of stability. So the kind of the, the more uh, perhaps anarchic uh, early phases of these things are fascinating because you have a, people have an Im immense passion and they're all usually cycle activists of some sort or they do things together in the community. 
Um, and a few of those have maintained that status rigorously. Others have moved to a social enterprise model where um, in Europe you can get people who on the dole can be employed by the state as bicycle mechanics. That gives you essentially a paid employee. You need to raise some money uh, through um, the, um, the, the people that come to the workshop, what they pay. And it, therefore, there's a transition effect that goes on uh, mm. that moves it into a more stabilised sort of status. Perhaps less radical, but um, perhaps serving a few more people on a more regular basis. Yeah, well, it depends upon, like I say, the, the, the personalities and the skills involved. If the people are more into skill share, um, okay, they go that way. If people are, want to take a bit more of a financial or more pragmatic thing on capacity building, they'll probably go more, let's get a lease, let's kind of get incorporated so therefore we can, you know, kind of bid for tenders to get, blah, you know, to, to build, you know, build some type of financial thing. But um, what's your overall interest? Do you want to see more of these or do you want to develop these in Melbourne or it's just an overall interest um, for you? Well, I think having been a bit involved in um, bicycle issues in London, I've taken this across and um, most work that people do from the community on cycling is usually lobbying for something or other. Yeah. Like in Melbourne, we've got missing bridges, crap cycle lanes, we've got all sorts of problems. And the idea is to try and improve that infrastructure. Planners often take the view that we should start with that infrastructure, provide it, which is a supply side approach to cycling. It says... Um, Basically, if we build it, they will come. So if we have a nice, you know, if we sort out Sydney Road, more people will use it. Mm. That's fine. But the other side of cycling is really a demand side effect, which is what is there actually a bicycle culture in the first place? So the Europeans, from my studies, are extremely good at creating a bicycle culture as a creating a demand for cycling. And you might think everybody is cycling in Brussels. You know, Eddie Merckx was from around those parts, well, further north. And, um, you know, there's a lot of Flemish-speaking people. It's essentially Dutch, and Dutch has loads of cyclists. But actually, the cycling percentage in Brussels is 3 to 4% of the entire road traffic. is extremely low. It's that is very, surprising. It's an extremely car-dominated city, and there's a lot of work to do. And pushing on the demand side amongst... Um, the different groups in Brussels is very, rather fractured linguistically, racially and so forth. Uh, workshops help that. People come along, they get interested, they realise they can ride a bike in that city and they might later on lobby for cycle lanes, but mostly it's about getting people on, back on the road or on the road for the very first time. Mm. OK, I'm just going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. Hi, Ivan Hexter here. When the community battle against East-West Link started with drilling behind my house, I took my camera out. 60 hours of footage later, I need your help to tell this community story. The sheer arrogance of a government trying to foist a multi-billion dollar project on us. Tunnel Vision, the story of right beating might. Donate to the Tunnel Vision crowdfunding campaign to be part of the Tunnel Vision project. Org. That's www.chuffed.org. Then look for Tunnel Vision. Be part of Tunnel Vision, the real story of the East West Link. If the person in front of you has got a belt on, hold on to the belt in front of you. Tunnel Vision is a 3CR supporter. 
and you're listening to Yarrabosky Radio on Community Radio 3CR 855 AM and digital. And uh, you're listening to the last uh, announcement. Please help out with the Tunnel Vision Docker. Go to chuff.org and look up Tunnel Vision. And I assure you, you'll be um, you'll see all the range of benefits and stuff there. It's a very worthy crowdsourcing thing to get involved with. Simon, that was a very important point you made just before that announcement. Yeah, um, supply versus demand. It's an interesting way yes. to think about cycling. The demand is us, the cyclists. Uh, it comes from us. Um, the supply is usually coming from planners, city authorities and so forth, which is the roadscape, uh, the streetscape, the lanes and so forth. But I think you have to work on both ends. Yeah. Yeah, but OK, I'm going to ch- chuck a sp- bit of a spanner or a um, thing in here. I would say from a Melbourne perspective, our emphasis upon cycling has become a bit of a nice middle class thing. And we've got a bit of a disparity in the in the in the riding kind of styles around Melbourne, you know, inner north versus west, which is a bit more adversarial, then you've got south side or people over that side who, you know, like um, kind of high end shiny road bikes. Mm. They'd be listening to this going, What? Really? So what what, um, how could you put in a context for someone who likes to buy really high-end group sets in carbon fibre? You, you're looking at this at, at all or not? That's not what you're... Um, people are, who have those machines do come along to bike workshops okay. and they do yep. come along to the bike shed in series, which is a, a regular, mm-hmm. regularly open every week, a few times. Um, but they tend to do their own thing. They know what they need. Mm. And if they haven't got the parts there, they'll bring them with them and they'll fit them themselves and they'll go. So they're part of the community sort of ethos, but in a smaller way than the people that perhaps um, dedicate a lot of volunteering time or whatever. And uh, I work particularly with a, a group in Brussels called Cycloprativa, and that's based in a uh, very, very poor part of Brussels. It's a largely Moroccan community, and the, the biggest audience for the workshop was actually kind of 11 to 16-year-old kids who live in apartments around near Brussels' Midi station, if people know that. And um, they come in and they fix bikes up and they certainly don't have expensive group sets or anything like that. It's really about um, learning skills and mobility. And so workshops really appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. None of them, absolutely none of them I visited uh, across the world had any stipulation about who this was for. Mm-hmm. Some had a local focus, like we're really about the locals. In Brussels, you can do that because there's 13 workshops in a city of a million. And so they tend to partition by neighbourhood. You don't need to cycle off to some other one to, to, to visit them. Um, but they're really diverse. And I would just tell you, just for the, the, the listeners, I went to Chicago for something else and visited a couple of workshops. There's one there called Working Bikes that has bought a three-storey massive um, factory and they are shipping 7,000 bikes a year out of there, 1,000 for people in disadvantaged communities in Chicago, 6,000 off to Africa, and these are built up and repaired by volunteers who come in who also do their own bikes. So I'm calling it a bike workshop because people can come in and do their own thing, but they have to volunteer some time. And that shows that a, a small community initiative that started in somebody's shed about 15 years ago in Chicago can can get to be a really very large non-profit organization so it's, there's a transition there from one to the the big thing and again that has a particular audience which is the the people in Africa that take these bikes in Lesotho and Tanzania and Kenya and other countries um, but it's still I think really part of a community 
Yeah, because we've got Ben Nambier, I think, here in Australia, does a similar. Yeah, exactly. And also Bikes for Life have done similar. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, though, that's, is that a cooperative model? Have they gone completely corporate? No, it's still completely, it's a, it's a 501 non-profit under American okay, yeah, law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well, the reason why we've got you on the show today is tomorrow you're doing a talk on this. Do you want to give people a bit more detail about that? Uh, yeah, talk uh, 221 Bouverie Street, uh, Melbourne Uni, just south of the main campus and in the basement. And um, that starts at one o'clock. I've got an hour and I'll go through the four things that are important about bicycle workshops. And the reason I'm doing this in a university context is there's really virtually no academic or scholarly literature on any of these things. Um, there's literally three or four master's theses, a couple of papers in French and Spanish, not much in English at all. And I thought it was about time to do a big survey. So I'm going to run through the results of the survey, which is basically what drives workshops is the passion of the individuals, then the search for space, which is often pretty tricky when you've got no money, squats moving around in yep. the cities um, sometimes associating with councils some people say they don't want to do that um, the mission statement which can be local or more global and then the networks there's a bunch of networks that workshops exist in and in Europe we have Eurocyclage a network for the francophone people which embodies about 80 or 90 workshops and they have an annual meeting they have a get-together um, which is apparently pretty crazy. I haven't been to it. Um, and um, you learn a lot about how other places work. And so they deal with things like basic financial management, how to classify your parts and put them in parts bins um, and so on. And you get um, a bit of a link to other organisations. And we don't yet have that in Australia. We're, we're, we're small on numbers of workshops. Melbourne's yeah. growing, but it's, it's still pretty small. We've had workshops over the years. I remember like out at Autopsy, that was in Footscray. Um, Black Rose moved there about 15 years ago when they were, they were originally in um, Brunswick and moved over there. So we've had stuff like that here mm. in Melbourne, but it seems to be a fairly organic um, thing that's related to things like art spaces and performance spaces. Mm. And, um, and and in this increasing kind of atmosphere of, you know, getting, you know, user pacing, can you see a space for these sort of cooperatives and initiatives to survive? Yeah, well, I think uh, in Melbourne, because we're quite sort of rule-bound in terms of planning and things like that, um, you really need a, a sort of a guaranteed place to work. So the fact that the Hop Centre and Reservoir hosts um, the Wrenchworthy and the... Yeah. It's divided into two, isn't it? The, the, the oh, two there's two spaces, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, that sort of thing is good because it means at least you've got somewhere to work. So the next question is can you keep it maintained with uh, volunteers and so forth. But that's good. And there's another one actually on the Maribyrnong River in a park which I just learnt about. I'm okay. afraid I haven't written down the name. Okay. Because, um, yeah, because Wrenchworthy are uh, looking around for new premises. Ah. Because, you know, again, you know, because Hop is, you know, their lease is coming up soon. So, again, this is, shows the sometimes the ephemeral nature of, you know, mm. um, because Wrenchworthy have done a phenomenal amount of work to build up, you know, their school base because that is for, you know, non-binary gender people who feel really quite um, burdened by the time they go into a bike shop and you, you get this bloke culture. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's just creating a safe space for people. Yeah. And, um, the, and these the, things are vital. Yeah. Um, I did actually probably got the only statistics on this, but um, out of 42 trained mechanics in the workshops in the whole of Brussels, three are women. Good Lord, and, and that's so, Europe. And that's in Europe. Oh. Oh, okay, so one more thing about tomorrow? Um, yeah, uh, the, if you go to events at Unimelb, you can um, find out the further details on the talk. Yep. 
Thank you. Great. Hang on, just got to go for a quick bit of news and events. Okay, coming up on 10th of October is uh, Brompton uh, Cycle Club are having their Brompton Urban Challenge, and that's going to be in Melbourne. I haven't got more details in front of me. I've got a really nice graphic, though. Uh, so if you're into folding bikes, you, you, do you reckon you'd go along to that, Simon? Uh, well, I don't have a Brompton, but I could uh, consider it. They might not let me in. I don't know. I don't think they're that sort of, you know, kind of separatist <laughs> sort of stuff. Anyway, um, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, don't forget that uh, we're all volunteers as announcers on Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio. And uh, podcast should be up by today. And don't forget, you can subscribe or donate to keep 3CR going. So go to 3cr.org.au and look for the subscribe or donate option. And make sure if you still want to do some stuff for Radiothon that you make your pledge to Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. So up next, I believe we'll have Dirt Radio. And hopefully next week we'll have Val and Faith back in the studio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.